God is good all the time. I conducted a funeral on Thursday of my friend Jack McKeon. When I stood up to begin the service, I was unexpectedly overwhelmed. Just absolutely overwhelmed. In that moment, it just all hit me. This Christian faith of ours is absolutely incredible. It's just absolutely incredible. You do understand, we don't keep the faith. The faith keeps us. And it keeps us in life. And it keeps us to death. And it keeps us through eternity. I hope you haven't been a Christian for so long that the wonder of this incredible gift of God made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't occasionally just blow you away. I had a day like that on Thursday. When I was a kid, we were raised in a tradition where kids got saved young and summarily baptized by immersion. The reason we got saved was simple. We didn't want to go to hell. We used to share our testimonies, and it was called when, where, and why. Anybody ever hear this, when, where, and why? When did you receive Jesus, where were you, and why did you? The, the fourth graders I went to church with, I, I've got to tell you, when? Sometime between the time we were five and now, right? I mean, you're talking about a limited time span. Where? Normally church or church camp. Anybody have good experiences in church camp when you were growing up? Church camp, a lot of people got saved in church camp. But why? Same answer. Didn't want to go to hell. None of us wanted to go to hell. Still don't. Still don't. It hadn't changed much. But that's why. As I got older, heaven began to take on a little luster. You know? I mean, it did. I, 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 guess, I guess the human emotion, maybe to avoid pain, is greater than, than embrace the, the promise of life with God. But as I got older, heaven began to get more exciting to me. But I've got to tell you, these days, these days, uh, there's three things that really motivate me about Christianity. Uh, of course you don't want to go to hell, and of course you want to go to heaven. But God promises us an incredible life of peace and purpose and power and passion. And may I just say straight up adventure right here in time and space. God doesn't just have something great for you later. God has something great for us now. Can, can I just unpack that real quick? A life of peace. A life of peace where your head doesn't always just rage. A life of purpose where you wake up in the morning and think there's more to live in than numbing the pain. A life of passion where you're excited about this adventure that lies in front of you as, as God pings and prompts us and, and we follow those by the power of the Spirit. A life of power where God can do more through us than we ever imagined possible. Today, I'd kind of like to explore the, the latter. 
God's promises to the righteous. Welcome to Soul Salsa 2023. We opened this particular summer's series with Psalm 10. We learned that God can handle your hurt. God can handle your pain. God can handle your doubt. God can handle your disappointment. We can take these things to God because God cares for us. When we cry out to God, God doesn't look down and say, beat it, kid. He cares for us. What we have to do is we got to get all the, the bad stuff out so that God can get the good stuff in. Getting the get bad stuff out is, is just repentance. We confess our sin. We confess how we have missed God's mark. We, we give God our doubts and our issues and all of those things and, and we pour those out. And then we allow God to fill us with God's presence. Every now and then when we sing, I'll, I'll look around and somebody will be worshiping like this. And I always think that's cool because they look like a funnel. And, and I'm always thinking, God, just, just fill us up. Fill us up. But God can't fill something that's full. You got to get emptied of the yucky stuff if you want God to fill you with his great stuff. Last week in Psalm 11, we discovered that because God is our protector, not just on earth, but for eternity, we don't have to live our lives in fear. God will reward the righteous. God will punish the wicked. The righteous will see his face. It's a fear-free life. And today we're going to explore Psalm 12. Now, before we lean into this, I want to go over our definitions for the series. And if you're our guest here for the first time, first of all, welcome. And secondly, this is going to give you a good look at the vibe of our church. Because if you thought you were attending the first church of duty, guilt, and obligation, this isn't that. That's how we're doing here. So let me give you these five definitions to define our series. Number one, the soul. The soul is our essence. The essence of every human being. Number two, salsa. An upbeat, exciting, dynamic, and attractive life. We want to live life, not just exist. We want to truly live. Number three, church, an exciting place where lives are transformed. Not a place where we track through a bulletin. Not a place where we wonder where we're going to eat lunch. Not a place where we order groceries. Church is an exciting place where lives are transformed. Man, I wish I had time to tell you all of the transforming stories that I get on a near constant basis of people that walk into this house on a Sunday and God does something absolutely incredible in their lives and just changes their forever. It happens all the time here. Number four, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ filled with spirit, passion, creativity, and life. All right? Christians should have a song in their heart, some pep in their step. We should be people who live life in such a way as others would say, I'm not sure what it is they've got, but I want some of it. And number five, ministry, the heart pounding dynamic work we do as a physical presence of Jesus Christ. We just had a bunch of folks get back from a trip to Honduras. All throughout, I'm getting texts, I'm looking on social media. Folks, it was an adventure. It was an adventure. And I've got to tell you, God calls us to this heart-pounding, dynamic work that we do together. We do it together. We make impact together as the church. Psalm 12 is one of many psalms 
that carries forward the idea that we live in a spiritual battlefield. Satan's always attacking. God is always protecting. In the end, God wins. The mindset, I think, for this is given to us in John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and have life abundantly. This juxtaposition is what the Bible gives us from the start to the finish. Satan means harm. God means good. When it's all said and done, God wins. When it's all said and done, God wins. The psalm, this psalm, begins with a stated concern that the ranks of the righteous are thinning. It moves to a petition to ask God to counter the lies of humanity. And then it boldly proclaims confidence in God's ultimate justice. Lament, petition, proclamation. Last week, Melissa and I went to the movie theater and watched the newest installment of the Mission Impossible movies. Did you know going to the movie theater is expensive? <laughs> I mean, I realize you sit in a chair slightly bigger than my first car. I completely get that. And I know it goes up and down. And I completely get that. And I know you get free refills for like a $200 tub of popcorn. I get that. But I got to tell you, I still like to go to the movies. It still feels cool to me. And last week we saw the newest installment of Mission Impossible. It was interesting to me that the theme of the movie was trust no one. The good guys are bad and the bad guys are bad and the medium guys are bad. And unchecked technology is bad and, un and technology itself may be bad. But hey, there's a lot of actions, a lot of action and Tom Cruise does his own stunts. So that's kind of the film. Now I got to tell you, I really liked the movie. I mean, I thought the movie was fun. I go to the movies to be entertained. And let me be honest with you, you pay that much, I wanna be really entertained. I go to the movies to be entertained, but when I walked out, I thought this movie was really cool, but living in perpetual trust, distrust, is a really rough way to go. Some of you know the feeling. You've been let down by so many people. So many of your aspirations have blown up in your face, so many of your dreams have been shattered and you look out the side view mirror, there's just a trail of broken things behind you and before long we ask ourselves, can we trust anyone? Can we even trust ourselves? The question we're gonna to explore today is, is when everything around us fails, when, when the people we trusted betray us, when the constructs upon which we've built our lives collapse, to whom do we turn? Who can we trust when we can trust no one, including ourselves? And David's answer is really, really clear. We can trust in the Lord and we can trust in the promises of God. So I'm gonna throw this at you and I, wanna just, I just want you to let it sit with you a minute. The promises of God are more, are more trustworthy than anything else you perceive to be reality. They're, they're more trustworthy than how you feel. They're more trustworthy than how you think. They're more trustworthy than anybody you know. The promises of God are the single most trustworthy thing in the cosmos. So let's take a look at the scripture. Verse one, help. You guys ever have a prayer like that? Help, help. Asking God for help 
is far more an act of faith than an admission of weakness. David petitions God to move on his behalf. You see, a prayer for help is a legitimate prayer. It's a legit prayer. Simply by offering the prayer, we recognize that we can't control everything. We recognize that God is real. God is trustworthy. God is able to address our situation. And God cares enough about us to do so. God help me is a good prayer. It's a good prayer. So why does David need the help? Now he's going to make his case. First of all, the godly are disappearing and fading fast from the earth. The Hebrew word translated faithful or godly points to the character of people. So he's really saying all the good people are dying. The psalmist is concerned that he sees the good being removed from the earth, but the generations coming up behind them don't seem to have the same character or the same metal. I think there's often feelings that people have in life that the good and the godly are disappearing. I remember for about 15 to 20 years, I I buried World War II veterans. And I just remember being so humbled officiating their funerals. Because I'm just going to give you my opinion. But uh, those, those men and women left home when they were teenagers. Went across the world to stop the biggest atrocities ever committed on the face of this planet. And they won a war. And they came home and they made America great. And I got to tell you, I tip my hat to that generation. Every good thing I have in my life was made possible by the sacrifice of others. And I want you to hear this. Every good thing you have in your life was made possible by the sacrifice of others. And that includes this wonderful Christian faith, which was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a cross at Calvary. So he's concerned that the godly are disappearing. My dad grew up in southern Illinois. He tells me there were no deer in downstate Illinois when he was growing up. No wild deer at all. They'd been overhunted. They were absent. There was a preserve here and there. But he said as far as wild deer, you just didn't have them in southern Illinois. And today, deer are nearly at nuisance proportions. And it's really hard to imagine that the deer population was almost completely eliminated here. David feels like the righteous are becoming an endangered species. And he's pointing out this dire situation to God. God, do something about this before the righteous are completely gone. Whether the godly are disappearing is a reality or a perception of David doesn't really matter. David feels outnumbered and isolated. As a traditional and orthodox Christian who believes what Christians have always believed, I sometimes feel outnumbered and isolated, don't you? Addressing this alienation is one of the upsides of attending church. Every Sunday I come to church and I say, hey, there's more like me. There's there's more people than just me who believe the Bible's the word of God. There's more people than just me who believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, 
and the life. There's more people than just me who believe that sin can be forgiven and that people can actually be changed by the power of the resurrection. I'm not the only one out there. Living for God in a fallen world is hard. And sometimes we feel like we're the only ones trying to live for God, but we aren't. We aren't. But even if we were, you could have to live for God regardless. Who are the righteous? Those who have decided to follow Jesus. Are we perfect? You gotta be kidding me. I mean, you gotta be kidding me. We fall short in so many ways. But we have decided to follow Jesus. We have decided to follow Jesus. And as a song, when I was a kid, I was never a song. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song at the end of church called, I have decided to follow Jesus. And they sang it at the end in hopes that people would come forward for prayer. And sometimes if, if my dad thought people should be coming forward and they didn't, we could sing his song for half an hour, all right? <laughs> but I love the song. And the second verse, one of the other verses said, though none go with me, still I will follow. And I was thinking about that today. We, we are those who've decided to follow Jesus. That's who we are. So I thought we'd sing it, all right? So everybody ready? Here we go. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Let's sing it one more time and lean into it a little bit. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Second piece of evidence. Verse 2, neighbors lie to each other in flattery and deceit. The Bible is really clear about the power of words. Creation was set into motion by God simply saying, just speaking, let there be and there was. We all know words are powerful, right? There's not a person here who's not been hurt by words. Can I hear an amen from somebody? We've all been hurt by words. We've also all been encouraged by words. Words are morally neutral. It's, it's what you do with those words. It's how you load those words that determine whether or not they are a blessing or a curse. A defining characteristic of the wicked is they use words for evil. They're tools that they use for deception. They don't care how many things they tear up. They don't care how many people they hurt. They just want what they want. What concerns David here is not that the evil are being evil. He expects that. It's that the people who should be righteous are talking just like the wicked. 
we who have chosen to live inside the faith community must act, talk, and think differently than those who've chosen to live outside the authority of God. A lot of people don't understand this, but biblical teaching on ethics and morality was never for the world at large. They were teachings for God's people. Paul never expected pagans to behave like Christians, but he certainly expected Christians not to behave like pagans. The high standard we hold in the church differentiates us from those who do not know God. When the values of the church are no different than the values of the world, the world has lost its light and the church has lost its salt. Verse three, Lord, bring manipulative flattery to an end and shut the mouths of the proud. I think one of the primary weaknesses of the American church is that being nice is often a higher core value than being truthful and being righteous. Doesn't mean I don't wanna be nice, I truly do. It's just that manipulation is often enabled by niceness. Sometimes all it takes for evil to prevail is, is for the godly just to be nice and let it steamroll right over us. Speaking God's truth into a situation halts the godless onslaught it shuts the mouths of, of those who think they can't be quieted simply because they are willing to yell over everyone. Sometimes we have to tell people that their unhinged tactics of hysteria and manipulation, guilt and shame are not going to be taken seriously on one hand or tolerated on the other. Sometimes you just got to tell people, you will not be allowed to push my buttons for the purpose of getting me to do what you want. You're not going to get my goat, whack me out, dazed and confused, shock or awe. So what you really need to do is just shut your mouth because I'm going God's way and I'd sure love to have you come with me, but whether you come with me or not, the power of your lying manipulative tongue is broken in the name of Jesus. Approach isn't overly nice, but calling out Satan's tactics will shut the mouths of the wicked. And at some point, we're going to have to get sick and tired of just being sick and tired. And we are going to have to stand up as godly people. Verse 4, liars think they can't be stopped. You know, people full of pride refuse to live under authority of any kind. They're not going to submit to the reign of David, the rule of law, or the reign of God. For them, living under authority is a bit in their mouths, and they want nothing more than to spit it out. You can't appease aggressors where they will interpret your silence for support, your politeness for weakness, your unwillingness to confront as a lack of resolve. Liars will keep advancing until they are met by the firm resistance of the truth. What do they do when they're met by firm resistance? They scream and yell. My response to much of the godlessness being perpetuated in our culture is just nope. Nope. Not going to participate. Not going to get run over. Not going to get in a bad mood, but I'm not going to back down either. David is clear that things in his world are headed the wrong way. They're going the wrong direction. The godly are being thinned out. Things are way out of his control. So he stands firm and cries out to God. What are we to do as Christian people in a culture that pushes against our values in so many intentional ways? We just need to stand firm, cry out to God and keep a smile on our face and keep proclaiming the truth. That's 
what we're called to do. It's who we are called to be. And David's cry to God is is not in vain. And I want you to know that your cry to God will not be in vain either. Verse 5, but the Lord has been paying attention to how the wicked treat the poor and do violence to the helpless. And now the Lord will rise up on their behalf for they have cried out to him. The consistent theme of the Bible is we reap what we sow. The wicked sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Now that these charges have been made against the wicked, there's no doubt in David's mind that God will summon himself. It's often translated, arise, O Lord. God will arise on behalf of the poor and the helpless and the oppressed. God's movement throughout the Bible is often in direct response to the prayers of the oppressed. When the oppressed finally get sick and tired of being sick and tired and they cry out to God, God acts on their behalf. This establishes an incredibly important spiritual principle. Our prayers are God's invitation to act on behalf of humanity. We complain about things a lot, don't we? I mean, I, I, I'm not in church 10 minutes before I hear people grousing about things. We, we complain about things. They used to say baseball is America's number one pastime. I, it's not. Griping is. <laughs> Griping is America's number one pastime. We, we complain about things all of the time. But the reality is, how often do we really pray about things? We talk to people about things, but how often do we talk to God about things? You may find out about some really thing, bad things that are happening in this world. You could sit and complain about it, but we're asked to pray. When we pray, we invite God to be present in our situations. And how often is it that we begin to pray only after we've exhausted every other possible solution? I think people of faith need to make prayer our first option. Prayers of faith give God something to act upon. They're invitations to God to be present in time and space. And David reminds us that prayer is doing something. Prayer is doing something. Say that with me. Prayer is doing something. Verse 6, God's promises are pure than the purest silver. It's juxtaposed with the manipulative words of humanity, which can never be taken at face value. The promises of God are rock solid. They are completely trustworthy. They are just, they are loving, they are offered for our good. There's no political agenda behind God's promises. We can fully trust in the promises of God. For God's nature doesn't know how to be anything other than reliable and responsible. God is not just a promise maker. God is a promise keeper. If a human makes a promise, I would think we would do well to consider their track record and the fallen state of humanity and adjust accordingly. But if God makes a promise, you can bank on it for eternity. I have based and banked my eternity on the promises of God. It's all said and done. When I stand before God someday, I have banked my eternity on the promises of God. It's not human righteousness. I mean, if you think, you know, my seminary degree or my ordination papers will help you, I'll, I'll loan you mine. I don't, I'm not going to bring them. 
When I stand before God one day, I am fully aware I am a sinner saved only by the grace shown me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without that, I don't have a chance in my own goodness and in my own righteousness. And you don't either. The promises of God are purer than the purest silver. Verse 7 and 8, God will protect those who cannot protect themselves from liars for all eternity. For even though the wicked strut about, and are admired by many. Even though the wicked seem to be ruling the world, even though the wicked seem to be having their way, God, God will protect those who cannot protect themselves. What an incredible promise. God will protect us. If we stand for God, God will protect us. God will eventually strike down the proud. When I first got called into ministry in 1989, my father gave me some salient advice. He said, God has called you to be a leader. You will always have detractors. You will be attacked. Don't defend yourself. Do not defend yourself. Just keep serving Jesus. Let your supporters defend you. And if your supporters won't defend you, you have a far greater problem than your detractors. He's exactly right. But I would add one thing to it. God also protects us. When you got nobody to protect you, when all you got is enemies and your supporters seem to be fading into the woodwork, God still protects us. He is our protector. And he does so despite the fact that the wicked strut about the earth Despite the fact that the evil of this world think they're going to run the table and never come to accountability, despite all that, God is still going to protect the righteous. So what I did, I looked through Psalm 1 through 12, and I thought, let's, let's take a look at these promises God made. So we're going to do this lightning fast, but I got 10 promises here I want to share. These are promises of God to the righteous. Number one, joy, joy. Psalm 1, joy comes to those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Don't go the wrong way and you will have joy. Aspects of joy, hydrated, well-watered souls, lives that bear forth fruit, prosperity, a prosperous life, joy. Number two, guidance. Psalm 1 says the Lord will watch over your path. Do you got a big decision to make right now? Why don't you pray about it? Why don't you pray about it? Why don't you just ask God what you should do and then just open up your ears for the pings and and the the words that God will send your way. God will give us guidance, it's promised. But you gotta ask and you gotta listen. Number three, legacy. God will give us the nations. Folks, what we do here, what Christ Church is and our unique witness to the world isn't just about now It's also making a firm stand for Christianity, for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Until Jesus comes back, we are going to stand for Jesus right here. And part of what we do is give them a legacy. We do things now so that God will continue to move through this place in generations to come. Legacy. Number four, protection. Psalm 3 says he just removes fear. And here's the deal. Did you guys realize we're all going to die of something? All of us, we're all going to die of something. Unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to die of something. And I'm sorry if you heard that here first. But we're all going to die of something. 
But on the other side of that, incredible things await. We don't have to be afraid because God protects our souls. Number five, attentiveness. The Lord will answer when we call. When you call out to God, God will answer. What an incredible promise. Now you're going to have to listen. And then don't listen to God and not do what he says and then think God has let you down. You can't just fall into to like ways of illogic when you apply all this. But if you cry out to God, he will be attentive. He will call. Number six, worship. God invites us into worship. The creator of the cosmos invites you and me into worship with him. Wow. Wow. Number seven, justice. Psalm 7 speaks of the justice of the Lord. God will destroy the wicked. God will protect and vindicate the righteous. Justice. Number eight, there is authority. We have authority over all things. Did you know you have authority in the name of Jesus? Did you know the name of Jesus is the name above all names? We need to pray in the strong name of Jesus. I believe Christians have incredible authority in time and space that we do not exercise that is fully available to us. We need to take authority in the name of Jesus. Number nine, vengeance. Psalm 10, it says, the wicked will fall into the pit they have dug. I talked, uh, talking about a boomerang. Any of you have boomerangs when you were kids? I had a boomerang. I couldn't wait, man, because I saw the commercials. Awesome, right? You, you, you threw this thing, and it went maybe, you know, two or three miles, and it kind of just looped back around, and then you caught it, right? It was awesome. And I remember getting my first boomerang. I got that thing, and I threw it. It went about 75 yards out there, and it just... Didn't do anything. I thought, maybe you got to be Australian. I had no idea. But I'll tell you what, it was not great. I just threw it and walked out there. Well, how many times we think the evil are like that? The wicked are like that. They just do what they want. Nothing ever comes back to bite them. But the scriptures, God's promise is the evil will get there. So boomerang will return upon the evil. And God will punish the evil. That's really cool because you don't have to punish the evil. You know what you need to do? We need to forgive. That's what we're told to do. Forgive, God does the punishing. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God takes care of the punishing. We forgive. You say, why would I possibly forgive? You need to understand. We don't forgive to let those who have hurt us off the hook. God will take care of them. We forgive to let ourselves off the hook so we don't live our lives in bitterness and hate. You forgive to unlock a jail cell that you walk out of. Vengeance is the Lord's. And then number 10 is just intimacy. We shall see his face. Throughout the whole Old Testament, nobody ever saw the face of God. But we shall one day see his face. You guys got any questions you're going to ask God someday? I've had a lot of people tell me, they say, you know, when I get to heaven someday, I'm going to ask God about all these things, you know. I'm going to ask God about the dinosaurs. I said, you are, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to go down like this. I think we're going to have all these questions, right? All these things we want to ask God. And we're going to get to heaven. And we're going to behold the face of our Savior. And like I felt in that moment 
at that funeral on Thursday, we're going to be utterly blown away by how incredible this Christian faith is and how beautiful Jesus is. And I got a feeling Jesus might just ask, oh, by the way, you got any questions? <laughs> and we're going to say, no, sir, I can't think of one. <laughs> the petition of the Psalms is often for destruction of enemies. But the promises of God are for the encouragement of the godly. The message here is clear. Things may be tough for you today and tomorrow may be even worse. But don't give up. There will come a day when God's reign is unleashed, when the wicked are destroyed, when the righteous are restored and vindicated, and when we behold the very face of God. And what an incredibly glorious day that'll be. And how do I know it's coming? Because God promised it to us. And God's promises are more real than anything you feel, anything you think, anything you believe. There is nothing more real than the promises of God. I've got two words of invitation as the band comes up. The first one is, some of you may be really discouraged right now. I just want to tell you to hang on. Just, just hang on. Keep abiding. Keep doing the right things for the right reasons. And God's promises will be fulfilled in your life. Hang on. Don't give up. You're so close to breaking free. Don't give up now. Hang on. And secondly, maybe there's some folks here who've never asked Jesus into their life. You may have had a whole lot of religion, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a personal relationship with a creating God made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we tap into to get this salsa life I'm talking about. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I want to invite you to do that. We're going to have some folks on both sides of the balcony. There'll be some folks up here. They would love nothing more than to pray with you, to receive Christ. They would love nothing more than just to encourage you in prayer. You're loved. And I don't know what you're going through, whether your life's going well or it's really bumpy right now, but I do know this. God's promises will come to pass every single time. Would you pray with me? Great and mighty God. Thank you that you are truth, and we stand in your truth. Remind us that we are loved. Remind us that when we do the right things the right way, we will get the right results in the right time. And remind us that even if life in this world gets unbearably hard, you've still got us now and for eternity. Thank you for this wonderful Christian faith. And we can't wait to see your face in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we worship together?